Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety podcast with me, your host and author, Caroline Foran. My guest this week is all the way from Portland in the US, Dr. Leah Katz. She's a clinical psychologist and the author of Gutsy, her new book. And for this episode, we're talking all things people-pleasing. So people-pleasing for me is very much a part of anxiety. It's a little bit more under the radar. We might necessarily think of it as anxiety, but it can really have an impact on us. And it's really hard sometimes to know if you are people-pleasing or if you're just being kind. So here we unpack the whole concept of people-pleasing from why we do it, where it might be coming from and the impact that it has on us. Crucially though, we get down to the business of what can we actually do around that? What small changes can we make that will be powerful and help us gain a little bit of our power back? I hope you find this episode helpful. I love talking about these subjects. I think there's just so much to say. And Dr. Leah Katz is, she's just wonderful at the way she articulates things. And her book, Gutsy, is out now. So go forth and read. Dr. Leah Katz, all the way from Newport in Oregon. I'm so honored to have you on the podcast. So welcome, first of all. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm Thank you for reaching out. It's so nice to be here. It is my pleasure. I came across you on social media and I just was really taken with your content and the way that you can articulate things. I'm not an expert and I've always seen myself as someone bridging the gap between the experts and the science and the stuff that's kind of hard to understand and the person who needs to hear it. So it's amazing to see more and more people who are qualified and reputable breaking it down and making it so accessible. So thank you for that and for all that you do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate people showing up and interacting with people on social media. It's mean. It's really meaningful. It's really meaningful. Not only are you a doctor, you are a proud author now. Yes. Yes. Just as of last week, my first published book is out and it's been super exciting and a long time coming. (laughs) I think everyone has a book in them at some point in their life. It's one thing to have the idea, another thing to get it done. So congratulations. The book is called Gutsy. 
Yes, gutsy mindfulness practices for everyday bravery. Would this book be relevant for someone who's struggling with daily anxieties, be it people pleasing, be it social comparison, be it perfectionism? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, My book is all about different mindfulness ideas that we can use to help us understand what's keeping us stuck in life and access more meaning in our lives. And I, you know, I break it into different, different chapters about self-worth and feeling good enough and learning to take brave action. Um, and I think that the, the concepts that you just mentioned before with anxiety and people pleasing and perfectionism, I think it's woven throughout. So my book, I wrote this book from my heart. I have a lot of me in this book. I included a lot of my own story of, of being brave and making hard choices and finding myself in my twenties. And, um, but I, I blend that with clinical research and, and anecdotes from my own clinical practice as a psychologist. And I hope that people will find it helpful and it will be relevant for other people. I think the blend of both is just so impactful, like to be able to relate to someone's experience and also then back it up with all of the clinical research and what the science is telling us. It's such a powerful combination. So congratulations. And I hope it does really well for you. I'm sure it's already being really well received. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. There's so much that we can talk about. There's so much. I know we were talking on email about like what we could discuss in relation to Mm -hmm. anxiety. I was really taken with a lot of your content around people pleasing, which Mm -hmm. for me, I guess a a lot of these things, like I mentioned, like perfectionism or social comparison, they all fall under the anxiety umbrella even though they might not necessarily feel like you're suffering with anxiety to the extent that you're not able to get through your day do you see people pleasing as a real issue and do you see it as linked to our experience of anxiety yes to both <laughs> i think that it's something that resonates for many many people and i think that it does have its roots in anxiety and i also you know i i think it has its roots sometimes in our our younger stories you know so it's the inner child work and where does the need to feel like we need to make people happy all the time come from and where where did that develop and it's going back and digging underneath the different layers and understanding where it came from and maybe who helped instill the feeling that we needed to be that way in the world that we needed to make people happy all the time in the world and learning a new way of being. So I think that it's it's multidimensional, you know, and it, it it comes from, it can potentially come from a lot of different places. Actually, it's interesting because I recently um, started writing more about it on social media and that's where we connected. And I've just, I found that those posts surprised, it, it surprised me how much they resonated with people. And, um, you know, because I see it resonate in my own personal life and with my clinic, you know, my clinical, my clients that I see in my clinical practice, but then on social media, when you see, wow, like there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people who, who say that this really spoke directly to them. And there's something so connecting about that. Um, you know, that there's so much universalness in our experiences and very powerful too. I don't really know anyone who doesn't consider themselves a people pleaser to some extent. And the person who isn't a people pleaser, we almost think of as like rude or self-serving. I know, you know, it's, it's such an interesting thing because as I was writing my book and writing about this concept as well, I was thinking to myself the same thing, like, who do I know who doesn't struggle with this in some way? And I was able to come up with, you know, a handful of people who I really admire. And I think a lot of how they're able to show up in the world without worrying about how they come across and just sticking to their guts and doing what they want to do. I think a lot of, a lot of the people that I was thinking of were raised with that value. You know, they were raised to be independent and not worry too much about what other people thought about them. Um, and it was a gift. It's a gift that I think they they carried they carry with them from their childhoods. So I think it's possible. But I think that there's I mean, there's so, so many of us who weren't raised that way and were raised with different values. And it's something that we struggle with as adults. And like for the vast majority of us who 
do struggle with people pleasing, maybe we're not even aware of it. It's just so ingrained in us. Does it really always go back to how we were raised by our parents to believe that we had to please others? Is that always the case? I don't think so. I don't think we can speak in always and nothing terms. And I'm, you know, I'm always, when I catch myself framing things that way, I'm always like, oh, hold on a second here, you know, because very, very, very few, few things are always. So I wouldn't say it's always because of that, but I would say there's a strong correlation. And I think probably, and you know, I've seen this too. It's just been so interesting being on social media and interacting with so many different people from different walks of life. I think that that piece, you know, like the childhood piece really rings a bell for many people. So not all people, but many people. And sometimes, you know, we're talking about like um, it coming from childhood, but it can also come from anxiety and anxiety isn't, you know, some and anxiety is multifaceted too and complex too. And it can develop in many, from many different sources, but sometimes it is just, you know, on the neuro, on the neuro level and having anxiety and anxiety can make us worry about things and need to create a certain sense of control and certainty. And that can lead us to people pleasing, you know? So it's not always learned behavior. I guess it's that nature nurture um, side of things. Sometimes it's both and sometimes it's one or the other. I always think it's interesting to to peel back the layers and understand where something comes from. But when it comes to people pleasing, yes, it might be because of how you're brought up. Maybe it's in your nature. Maybe it's a simple case of we're all biologically designed to fit in with our people so that we don't compromise our survival. Does it matter knowing why it or where it came from? I really feel like some of the most healing work we can do is understanding where where certain things come from. So, um, is it necessary? I don't think so. And I, and I see also from like people responses on social media, not everybody wants to do that work and that's okay. So I'm not ever saying this is for everyone, or you need to do this work or explore where things developed. But I think that doing that work can provide tremendous healing. When we understand where things developed, it automatically makes us less attached to them because we realize, oh, this way of thinking about myself and this way of being wasn't something I was born with. It was something that was, you know, oftentimes instilled in me by somebody else, whether it's our parents or, you know, early childhood experiences, teachers, friends getting bullied. You know, there's so many different places it can develop from. And when we realize that it was, created within us from an outside source. I think just like, just that recognition makes us shift our relationship to it and helps us realize that we can learn a different way of being, you know, something that we can let go of and something that we can step into a new way of being. So I think that exploring where it comes from can just, it's, I think it provides a sense of compassion and understanding um, that's very powerful. How do you know when you're people pleasing, what would you look out for is like, this is excessive. This is actually doing you more harm than good because I think we all do it because it serves some sort of short-term goal like it makes us more agreeable it gets us past any kind of awkward confrontation with someone by just saying yes I'll do that or yes I'll be agreeable but how do we know when it's a problem yeah I think that's such a great question and I'm glad that you're asking it because I think sometimes what happens is when we talk about these concepts that really do resonate and strike a chord for people I think sometimes the tendency is to get more black and white about it. Like, oh, people pleasing, it's always bad. Or, you know, whenever you're trying to make anybody happy, that's people pleasing. And it's something that we need to work on. And, and it's not the case. And I'm not, you know, like we were saying before, nothing's black and white and everything carries an element of nuance to it. And so I, you know, I actually like made a post about this a while ago, like a little tiny video, but, um, but it's something that I think about that there's a difference between people pleasing and liking to make people happy, you know, like they're two very, very different things and and how we use people pleasing. And in the way that I understand people pleasing, and I think it's used most times is it's coming from a place of insecurity and it's coming from a place of needing to compensate for something, or maybe even like a lack of self-worth where we feel like we need to go along with the other person because 
that makes us feel like we're good. And that makes us feel reassured that they think that we're good. And that's the people pleasing. I think that we want to explore and unpack and understand where it developed and know that we don't need to be that way because we sacrifice so much of ourselves when we go down that path, you know, when we're not being true to ourselves and we're not advocating for ourselves or, you know, saying what movie we want to watch, you know, like it comes up in big ways and small ways. That's different than liking to make people happy, which is coming more from a value driven place where, and, you know, I think that that ties into the whole category of kindness and compassion and connecting to other humans. Like what you were saying, that there's like a very, very strong evolutionary component to that, to wanting to connect and wanting to be a part of a group. And, and I think that the liking to make people happy and liking to connect with people in that way can be very value driven and very, very meaningful. Um, and so that's different though, than the people pleasing that's coming more from like a place of self-worth and a place of knowing self-identity. This is something that makes me feel really good. And I like to give to other people in this way. And so therefore I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it because I want that kind of meaning in my life. It's a value for me versus the other, you know, the other side of things where it's not a value, it's an insecurity. It's one thing to understand that you're people pleasing and know that it's coming from a place of maybe your your self-worth isn't all in great shape or maybe it's doing you harm. I feel like it's just such another thing to actually make a change and stop doing it. Where could we start? And is it as simple as things like the words that we use in our email correspondence? Absolutely. I think that, and just to, just to go back to what you just said, to emphasize it even more, you know, that it is something that I think is ingrained in us culturally. And especially as women, um, you know, there's science that supports that, that women tend to be more agreeable. And there's even science that shows that that's why we are less likely to ask for a raise at work, you know, or less likely to stand up for ourselves or set boundaries at work. Like, sorry, I can't do this. I'm too busy. Um, and then that can actually lead to burnout. Burnout is like a massive problem right now for many, many people and women, especially, you know, having gone through COVID and trying to raise kids and work. And, um, and so, so it, it, it's a real, it's a real, real issue. And how can we start combating it? I think some, I, I think what you suggested is it sounds small and simple, but it's not like, I think it's the small things that if we train ourselves to take like a little baby step in in assertive communication or assertive behavior or setting boundaries or how we word our emails, those small things turn into more small things and they become hopefully like habitual and it, and it changes the, it changes the way that we approach things, you know, like the whole sort of trajectory of how we're showing up with other people. So, I mean, we can, we can think about this even together, you know, like, well, what can we do to stop people pleasing? And I think that, yeah, it's how you word your emails, say what you need to say, be direct, you know, notice how many, um, like qualifying words you use. And I think at women, there's more studies on this. Women tend to use more of those qualifiers, um, you know, but putting question marks or exclamation marks to try and sound friendlier. So it's, I think it all starts with the awareness. Like that's something that I like to say a lot. Like, how is it showing up for you? Like, how are your emails worded? How do you communicate? Um, do you finish your sentences with a period or are you using a lot of question marks, you know, sort of like seeking, you know, a confirmation from the person that you're talking to. Um, and then, and then gently, gently, always gently, seeing how you can adjust things and how you can make changes, you know? So what words can you take out of your emails to make them sound more direct or how can you, maybe it's even practicing in front of the mirror. How can you say what you want to say in a way where it's a statement and not a question? Um, maybe, you know, like, like it's doing these concrete exercises, one that I really, really like a lot in terms of getting, getting a little bit of an inventory on your time and how you're spending your time and how much of it is meaningful to you and how much of is it, is it driven by, you know, wanting other people's approval is, taking like a going through a sample day of just like an ordinary day and writing down what you do, you know, in the morning, in the afternoon, at night, you know, wake up in the morning, have breakfast, take care of kids, get them to school, you know, like that. And then 
next to each activity that you catch yourself doing during just an average ordinary day, you write, is this like an N for nurturing or a D for draining? Is this an activity that nurtures me and fills me up? Or is this something that's draining? There's something about it that's not fulfilling and maybe people pleasing guided, or it's, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing this because I feel like I have to do this. And then seeing if you can shift any of those, you know, is there anything that's draining that you can maybe not do, <laughs> um, that you can set a limit for, or a boundary or like, or shift that responsibility onto somebody else, you know? So I think that starting with that awareness, how yeah. am I spending my time? How much of it is making me happy? Actually, how much of it might be driven by people pleasing and then giving ourselves permission to make changes can be a very powerful thing to do. I think sometimes the idea of something drastic, like just saying no, I mean, we see it all the time. No is a full sentence. I know that people pleasing contributes to anxiety in the long term, but but sometimes trying to change things too abruptly could just give you more anxiety in the moment. So I really like the idea, and you talk about this in your articles that you've written as well, around creating buffers that take into mm-hmm. account the anxiety that goes along with trying to step away from the behavior. So instead of saying mm-hmm. yes right away, say, sounds good. Let me think about that. Let me come back to you. And giving yourself those little frameworks that help you just give a bit of space between your automatic need to be like, yes, I'll do anything you want or questioning, well, do I want to do this? Well, why am I doing this? Where is this coming from? So what other buffers do you think we could give to my listeners? Yeah. I mean, the one that you just said was like a really popular one. And um, I think it's just a good one to make a part of our vocabulary. So if it's noticing when you're feeling put on the spot and noticing, because again, it starts with that noticing, you know, oftentimes like we have, we have the stimulus and then we were, we're so used to responding right away with like the, sure, I'll do it or no problem or whatever you want. So it's, knowing that we can slow down and pause and notice when we're getting like that feeling in our body that something's not quite right. Or sometimes it's even like, we know, oh, I I know something's not quite right. And I know that if I say yes right now, I'll probably regret it later and I'll stew and I'll ruminate and I'll (laughs) feel resentful. So it's knowing how to pick up on that feeling in your body. Maybe it's a tightness in your chest, or maybe it's like knowing that there's like a hesitation in your thoughts or whatever it is. So it's noticing when that's happening and then that buffer, like giving yourself permission to say, let me think about that. I just think that like, it's simple and it's something that you can just sort of like rehearse. So it's automatic. So it's okay. I'm having this sensation in my body. Something's not quite right. And then it's just the, let me think about that. And then you go and you think about that. And sometimes it's a yes. You're like, no, actually, no, I want to do this. And you go back and you have that conversation. And sometimes it's, that's a clue that it's just not the right thing for you. And you go and you say, I'm sorry, you know, I can't, or no, not right now. Everything we're talking about here is very much to do with the individual who is doing the people pleasing. But what I think is also important, I don't know if you agree, is our perception of other people who are changing their behavior or maybe already have it figured out how not to be a people pleaser. Because when you say like, oh, do you put full stops at the end of your sentences and emails or take out like exclamation marks, the things that I probably lean on to make sure the person thinks I'm friendly, I have to work on my perception when I get an email from someone that's more curt or more direct. And I immediately think, is that their personality? Are they going to be like, are they not as nice? So my perception of other people is influencing my desire to even be more of a people pleaser. Right, right, right. Uh, oh, absolutely. And I, that's something I resonate with. And I'm probably a lot of your listeners will too hearing that, you know, like the, that it's usually the other side of the coin. So it's overcompensating and trying to be extra nice and extra friendly to make sure that we're perceived as likable. But then it's like getting in our heads about, oh, how come they put like the period after hello? <laughs> so again, it's like just noticing when that pattern comes up for you and saying, oh, here we go again. Here's that people pleasing thing. And, you know, I'm probably, and then you can like challenge the thoughts, you know, like I'm probably misreading this. And that's how some people talk. And even just speaking from my own 
own personal experience. I have people in my, in my life that I'm very close to that. That's just how they talk, you know, like they're trained lawyers and trained, you know, like that's just how they talk and it's not personal. And so it's just like letting yourself know that so that you don't get stuck in your head. And then it's, you know, if you notice that you are stuck in your head, it's bringing yourself out of that. Like, it's okay. And also I will say, you know, I think that texting is great and it's convenient, but, um, and this is, I think like a little related to this, you know, it's also for that, this is a good reason why we should save our important conversations or like anything that's a longer conversation, like not via text. Cause like there is a lot of room to misread things. I also think the benefit of text or email though, is that it gives you a chance to absorb information before you respond. Whereas I'm far more likely to just say yes to something I don't want to do in person. I guess you're trying to coach yourself through it so that you can come out of it intact without feeling like you've been rude. You still don't want someone to think badly of you. And that's such a valid fear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also, so on that note, well, I have two thoughts on what what you said, you know, number one, if it, because then I think that's something that resonates for a lot of people and myself as well, that it feels easier in many ways to send an email or a text. And maybe though, that's a clue like that, that some of the work needs to happen and, you know, getting yourself to be brave and be gutsy yeah. and have in-person conversations and then trust that you'll have the wherewithal and the ability to build this muscle, to flex this muscle of like pausing and thinking and reflecting and, um, and being more assertive in the moment or learning to say things, you know, which is a form of assertiveness, you know, let me think about that. I'll get back to you. Um, so I think that there is like an element of like exposure, which is good for us in, in learning to talk about things directly like that. Um, and then, um, and then the other thing I was going to say is that a part of this work is also giving ourselves permission to make mistakes, you know? So like, let's say you said something and, oh, I don't know how that came off or maybe the, you know, that person, you know, again, and it's always a fine line. Am I getting in my head about it? Or is this something that really happened? But we can always swing back around. You know, we can always come around and say, can we just talk about the conversation we had earlier or how are you feeling about it? Or I felt a little bit weird about it. We can always do that. Like we can always come back to things. And I think we forget that a lot of times. It feels like it's like, oh, it's done. Okay, now I'm just going to dwell in my head about it. But it's learning to not do that. And it's learning to, you know, that we can come back around to things. Something else that I think, especially Irish people, I don't know if it's a, <laughs> if it's a US thing, but we're very apologetic. Uh-huh. Um, if uh-huh. someone bumps into me on the street, I will apologize. Uh-huh. <laughs> In emails, I feel like I spend my life saying, I'm so sorry for my delay. I'm so sorry it took me so long to get back. Or I'm so sorry this won't work. I'm like, I'm so, am I so sorry? Like that is a lot of energy to be expending where I feel like I have wronged the world. And that apologetic tendency is that also people pleasing at work yeah i i mean i really do think so i think well i think some of it's training and i think that a lot of us are just trained you know had to speak that way it's how we were modeled and how we see other people speaking our parents maybe our friends you know and so i think some of it it just happens automatically you know it's not always but i think it definitely can be and i think it's good to like and i've gone through the similar processes myself you know like oh yeah why am i why, am i really sorry like you just bumped into me why did i why am i saying sorry <laughs> and so i yeah. think that um i think getting curious about it is, is, you know, maybe even fun. It's like that playfulness. Okay. Like, what am I doing? And, um, and then taking corrective measure, you know, like maybe it's okay. I'm going to like really try hard not to apologize and not to say sorry, unless I'm actually feeling sorry for something. And in that way, that's also practicing more authenticity. Right. So I think that that's like its own value when we let go of the people pleasing and, um, like the words that we say, just because we're trained to say them or because we think they're nice to say, but they're not really authentic. Like we're not really sorry because we didn't do anything wrong. We are more um, authentic in the world. We show up more as we truly are, which is, which is a powerful force too. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If trying to change your people-pleasing behaviors comes with its own discomfort, people might just say, oh, like, it's just easier to just continue on this way. Like, what's the harm? I've made that person's day a little bit easier. Let's give people an insight into, like, really over time, what can happen? What does people-pleasing erode in us? Yeah. I mean, I think that the flip, you know, like the flip of that is, you know, it makes feels nice to do this. And in the short term, there's something maybe um, like satisfactory about doing this behavior. But I think the flip of that is what am I sacrificing? And in these little moments, so in each of these encounters where I say, sure, like, let's, we'll watch your movie or we'll go where you want to go or um, no, no worries. You know, if somebody like offended you or, you know, blew you off and you're supposed to get together or no worries, but you're really feeling hurt and upset about it, but you felt like you couldn't voice that because you didn't want to make them unhappy with you. What's the sacrifice, you know? So what's the sacrifice in the short term? Like, how does it make you feel after each one of those interactions? Probably, I mean, my sense is if it's something that you want to work on and something that you realize is an issue for you, you probably feel kind of resentful not so great. And you spend too much time in your head thinking about it. Um, and then what, what's the cost and the sacrifice in the long term? you know, so the more that we do those behaviors, like we said, in the very big, beginning of our chat, like we really do lose some of ourselves and we lose intimacy in our relationships with people because there's that authentic piece too, you know? So if I'm not really letting you know how I feel about things, I'm not really advocating for myself. I'm not letting you know what I want to do. Um, or not letting you know how, what you did made me feel then my, my, I hit a glass ceiling in my intimacy that I can develop with my friends, with the people around me, with people, you know, people in my life. And so those conversations can be scary and awkward and hard. And then you're right. I think you said this earlier and it's true. Like when we do something that's anxiety provoking for us, we feel more anxiety in the short term. It's like, oh, now I'm facing the thing that I don't want to face. But in the long term, that anxiety hopefully diminishes the more we do it and we gain more meaning in our lives. So what's the cost? You know, like, I think that that's a question to ask ourselves. Another thing that I've noticed when you put yourself glassed all the time, or it's always about what someone else wants to do or what the crowd wants to do. And you're even saying, that, well, what do I want to do? Sometimes you lose sense of what you even do want to do. You don't, yeah. you don't give yourself a chance to really know what it is you would do if you took away the pressure to people, please, how you would actually spend your time or even what your values are. So you're kind of diminishing your own sense of self. Absolutely. You know, and I, I agree with that. And I think that 
you know, in that vein, if it feels like this has become a pattern for you and you do feel like you've lost some of yourself and you're not even quite sure what you want. So maybe like the antidote for that or a work to do on that is start spending some time on your own, you know, start spending some time exploring things, reading things, you know, if there's a hobby you've been wanting to do, explore that, you know, teach yourself something new, you know, so you get to like claim more, uh, reclaim more who, who you are and, um, and maybe some of what you've lost. And I also think if you're spending all of your time or the majority of it serving others ahead of yourself, the resentment that can build up from that, which you can just shove under the rug at first, but that feeling of living in resistance to what your values are, what's important mm-hmm. to you, that mm-hmm. creates the kind of anxiety then that can really get in the way of, or, you know, you can start to suffer and struggle and feel like your resilience is lowered and everything. And you might be wondering, like, why is this happening? But as people pleasing over time get to a point where it is very much a precursor to the kind of anxiety that gets in the way of your day. Yeah, I think it definitely, I, it can be, you know, I think it, it's sort of like what comes first, the chicken or the egg. And I think it's a two-way street. So I think that that kind of behavior oftentimes stems from its own anxiety that's getting in your way and making you do other things that are anxiety related mm-hmm. and engaging in that pattern of behavior. People pleasing can lead to more anxiety. Yeah. And burnout, you know, like that's what we're saying too, like burnout, when burnout comes, when we don't, don't attend to our stress. So we push ourselves for too long and too hard and don't really pay attention and it builds and it builds, then we can get burnt out, which is, you know, for anybody who's been there is a really hard place to be. And so people pleasing can be a factor in that, you know, or if we're not paying attention to ourselves and we're going along with other people and that becomes our primary value, then, then that's, that is a hard way to live. So much of what you say to me sounds like it really comes back to the self-worth piece and how you measure your self-worth and it coming from external factors versus Mm -hmm. internal And Mm -hmm. I think we all know how we should be measuring our self-worth. Like we know it's not good for it to be based on likes on Instagram or followers. How can we really change where we're measuring ourselves? Where would you start with someone who's maybe like, maybe my self-worth isn't in good shape here? Yeah. Um, And my book talks a lot about that. That's like the first part of my book, uncovering where our unworthiness stems from so that we can create stories of worthiness. And I think that that is where a lot of it starts from, you know, like what we were talking about at the beginning, how we were raised, messages we were given about ourselves from the people who are important to us, whether it's our parents or teachers or friends. Um, It's just, it's noting those stories and knowing that we could, we could learn a different, we can learn a different story about ourselves. And I think that there's so many different pieces to that pie. And one helpful, you know, just a practical, helpful thing. If you're, this isn't something you're interested in going on this journey and learning more about yourself, mindfulness, the practice of mindfulness can really be the gateway for accessing self-awareness and compassion, you know, both of which I think we need to learn more of who we are and work through the patterns that are keeping us stuck. And so mindfulness is this idea of cultivating more of the ability of noticing what's unfolding for us internally, you know, so what am I thinking? How's my body feeling? Uh, you know, how, what's happening for me in this moment. So it's learning to notice that and learning to embrace it in a way that's kind and non-judging. And so mindfulness helps us slow down and understand our own patterns and understand the things that we're thinking that are tripping us up. And, um, and then hopefully like accessing the next step of learning to be brave and learning to rewire, you know, whether it's giving ourselves different kinds of thoughts or like what I said before, spending more time by ourselves, exploring hobbies and things that we've been interested in or things that give us a sense of purpose and value and meaning. Um, so I think it's, it's so many different pieces that ultimately come together. Yeah. So you think mindfulness could help people rebuild their sense of self-worth? 
Absolutely. And that's in a lot of my book. And, you know, there's science about that too, that when we practice mindfulness, we access more bravery because we really do train ourselves to pay attention to the hard stuff, you know, where it's easy in the moments to avoid and not pay attention, but then we stay stuck. Practicing mindfulness is like this intentional, like I'm going to really pay attention to what's here for me now. And, um, I think it's, so it's that paying attention and then it's like, okay, this isn't working for me. Let me figure out some other way of being. And maybe sometimes like that's helped in therapy because, you know, I'm a psychologist and I help people with this and I have my own therapist and I have for, you know, over the years and, um, that's helped me tremendously on my journey of self-discovery. But I mean, just even speaking to my own experience of mindfulness, it's been life changing, you know, and I know that that's a word that we use, you know, we use those words a lot, but like in my, in my own life, it's literally changed my life, the practice of mindfulness and how it's created an awareness and how it's created an ability to make brave choices for myself. So I'm a huge, huge believer in it. So say for example, someone is in a a difficult situation in work and they're in a meeting with a difficult boss. And I find in those situations, the part of your brain that's got the awareness, it's kind of goes offline or it's come out of your mouth. You're like, I didn't even know what I said there. You can't remember it afterwards. It's very hard to bring mindfulness into that actual acute moment where anxiety is present. So would it be helpful just to tee up or anticipate moments of the day where you might tend towards people pleasing, where you might be more vulnerable to it and just asking yourself in advance to take notice of how it feels and then maybe take stock afterwards. Like, is it beneficial to do that when you can't do it in the moment? A hundred percent. And I think that that is the way that we work. That's the way that like the heavy duty work that we do on ourselves happens that we hopefully with time bring our ability to make change closer and closer to the moment of awareness, right? Like where we realize like, Ooh, this isn't good. (laughs) I shouldn't be doing this. And then hopefully the more that we practice and the more that we learn and the more that we, you know, we work on it, we are able to have the awareness and then do the different action. Like say the thing in the moment where we're really speaking up for ourselves. But when we first start this work, It's to be expected that you'll have the awareness, but it's still feeling really hard and very anxiety provoking. So you don't say anything. But then after the fact, you're thinking about, you're like, you know, really, really, I could have done this. And next time I'm going to do this. And maybe I'm going to, you know, do a little bit of like a repair, you know, and go swing back around and have a follow up conversation so that I feel like I'm honoring myself more. And then the more that we do that, the more that we're able to bring the two together, you know, like the stimulus and then the ability to make change. Tell me about some of your favorite mindfulness exercises. What can someone take from this to actually apply when it comes to people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so going back to the example that you just said about being in a meeting and something's happening and, you know, you know, you want to say something, but you're afraid to say something or you want to just go along, you know, the people pleaser in you is making you want to just go along with what's happening. Something that we can do that is very simple and you can just do it like in just a few seconds is, and I do this. I really, this is like my go-to mindfulness, quick practice that I do when I need to ground myself because I'm feeling nervous about something. It's just feel your body, you know? So, um, making that even more concrete, like feel like I, I do this myself and I find help in it, you know, feel my feet on the floor. I just bring my attention to noticing and you can do this with me right now. See if you want to like, see how this feels and I'm going to do it too, you know, but just pay attention to what you notice in the sensations of the bottom of your feet. What are they making contact with? And just noticing if there's any sensation of temperature, you know, are they mm-hmm. warm? Are they cool? if you can feel your toes, you know? So, so that's like a little bit of like a a grounding in your body. That's mindfulness and that's quick and you can do anywhere and just helps you get out of your head and out of the anxiety and more like in touch with the moment and what, and your gut, like your instinct, you know? So like uh, this morning I, for my book, I went on the news and it was exciting, but it was anxiety provoking. And, and that's what I did. I just sat with my body, you know, like while I was waiting to go live and just did like my, felt my feet, 
did a quick scan of my body, felt my back in my chair. Um, and that's it. It's just a little bit of a dropping in, in the moment that can really shift things. I really love the way that mindfulness leaves the judgment at the door. Cause I think when you're, when you're struggling with anxiety, you can become aware of anxiety and then be so quick to be like, Oh, you know, for fuck's sake, like I'm feeling it again. Like what's wrong with me. Or I've been in that situation many a time where you're about to go on TV and you're like, why can't I just feel relaxed? It's okay. And it's more than okay. And it makes sense. Yeah. That you wouldn't feel relaxed in that situation. Exactly. And that's it. And like, I think sometimes like people think mindfulness is getting yourself to this relaxed place, you know, like we're okay, I'm going to practice a minute of mindfulness before I have to do the TV interview, because that's going to relax me. But it's really not about that. It's about doing this moment of mindfulness with myself before I'm doing this thing that's making me feel really anxious is helping me just learn to be present with my anxiety in a way where it's not sweeping me away. You know, whereas without that, like I might really get very swept away, like, oh no, what am I going to say? And this is so scary and oh, and you know, like it's distracting. But if I'm able to just be like, okay, yeah, this is anxiety. This feeling is here for me now. Let me see how my body's feeling. Oh yeah. My, my heart is pounding. Okay. You know, like, okay, it's all okay. You know, and it's, um, it helps us encounter those situations with more equanimity, but it also, it also enhances them. You know, I like, there's something that's hard to articulate, you know, like, and it's something that you experience when you practice mindfulness, there's something that like, just makes the experience more rich. Like I could, this, this can be, however it will be. And that's okay. The title of the whole podcast is owning it. Everything comes back to that. Like it's not about trying to get rid of anxiety or not feel it or deny parts of yourself that are present. Just own whatever it is you feel and accept it for what it is and not resist what's happening. And then that alone is just so powerful. Yeah. And, you know, in situations like we're talking now about going on TV or giving an interview, like another component of it is knowing that like some of that physical response, and this is not quite mindfulness, but it's a good adjunct knowing that some it's like excitement and it's adrenaline and I want this, you know? So like, that's part of like what I did today for myself, you know, that we can do for ourselves in the middle of the meeting or, you know, it's like, I want this. Like, I want to speak up for myself. Like part of this response that I'm having is me feeling excited to do something that's challenging for me that will hopefully get me different results. Amazing. So Gutsy is out now. Gutsy is out now. It came out last week. And it's widely available. It sounds like an incredible book. And I really do urge people to go and follow you because just your bite-sized content is just really digestible. And there's so many articles on your website as well, drleahkatz.com cats with a K and a Z. Thank you so much for having this chat with me and for helping me to just get my head a little bit around the complexities of people pleasing and the layers to it and what comes before it and what comes after it and what's underneath it and all those things just really help to get a sense of things I think yeah and thank you so much for having me I really loved our conversation thank you so much and best of luck with the book Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access a full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.